0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract, but Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He is turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts.
0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is indeed a win Wednesday. The 49ers ember of a playoff hope got a gust of wind, but will it be enough to fuel a playoff push? And with me this week, awaiting Maury's word on whether or not he is Sean McVay's father, it's David Newman.
1: Mm. Wow, I was, I, gotcha. not, I was not ready for that one. Mid-beer mid drink there, um, just uh, I needed a minute. I needed a minute. Yeah, it's uh,
0: man. I think uh, the Niners just have the Rams number at this point. It's it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding for Sean McVay. Always looking up to his daddy, Kyle Shanahan.
1: It's got to be rough. It's got to be rough for my guy, Sean. You know, um,
0: it, it's just we're going to have to adjust our predictions moving forward to adjust for the paternal uh, like that. Being like the paternal. Uh, father, I guess
1: that is in, inherent in the word paternal. Being the father is gonna give you like what, three points, three point bonus, four point bonus. Yeah, we should really talk to uh to friend of the pod George and see if we can get that built into PFF Elo, you know, <laughs> see if they can can start to build that in the projection system.
0: Man, it's uh it was a week that we I mean, we both did not expect to win the game, but it was fun to win it nonetheless. It's always fun to win. And yes, it does make the likelihood of a good quarterback being on the 49ers just a little less likely, but you know what? I'm here for the here and now. I'm here for this immediate gratification uh, the future. I'll get to the future when I get to the future. That comes later. Love a little short-term game for some long-term pain, you know? <laughs> Frankly, the, the circle of NFC West life continues because the Niners beat the Rams. The Rams beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks beat the Cardinals. And the Cardinals beat the Niners. So this, this is basically the, the NFC West bloodbath that may result in the entire division getting into the playoffs.
1: Is that is that possible in the if they don't expand to eight? Do we think there's like I I honestly like have no clue where things (laughs) actually stand as far as playoff picture goes right now. Well, like is that is that a scenario if uh if it stays at the seventeen? Luckily, that's going to be something we talk about at the end of the show, David. We actually have a
0: whole section we're teasing just right now where we're where we're going to talk about what the playoff scenario looks like. (laughs) Let's talk about why the Niners won though, because this was a win. That was fueled by the secondary. And I think a lot of people may have thought, oh, Sherman's coming back. It's obvious that this is going to be a secondary fueled win. But really, the player that fueled the win for the 49ers wasn't Richard Sherman necessarily, although he did have a timely interception. It was really Jimmy Ward and Robert Sala. And we'll start first with Robert Sala because he put together a really, really good game plan. And if the game plan in the first game against the Rams was from Shanahan that ultimately won the game, I think... Against the Rams in the second game, it was Robert Zala's time to shine.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- defensively they played really well, and I thought I thought it was like nice to see him using, um, you know, like trying to get his best players on the field. Right, I, I think it was, um, you know, seeing them still continue to get Mosley out there and playing him in the slot some, and like looking for different ways to get now that Sherman is back. and And obviously, I think they felt comfortable you know, with with Mosley and Verrett at this point as being quality cornerbacks that they they feel pretty good about. And so, um, and I, I think considering some of the other spots, you know, you think about, you know, linebacker, um, you, you know, finding ways to get those guys on the field as opposed to one of your weaker positions there as one of your eleven, I thought was really great. And um yeah, I thought they did, you know, some some creative things. They tried to move Sherman around a little bit, which was was kind That's of funny. You know, I don't know how well it actually worked. But hey, like I can, I can appreciate the creativity. And I think like ultimately um, yeah, defensively they played really well as a result. And I think Jimmy Ward absolutely to me was like the one that, that stood out as having just a a fantastic game.
0: Sala continued the 49ers trend of throwing a lot of varied looks to the Jared Goff and the Rams. This is not a singularly cover three team, but that was the coverage they played primarily against the Rams. 45% of their snaps were in cover three. They did play some cover four, but interestingly, they played some cover one. 21% of their snaps were in cover one, which puts a lot of their players on a bit more of an island. And I think when you feel more comfortable with players like Verrett and with Sherman, you're going to feel a bit more comfortable putting them out on an island. Mosley in the slot, I think, in, in the second half of the game after Jamar Taylor's injury, it is going to be interesting to see how he continues to play in the slot because I think that's probably going to be where he plays for the rest of the year now that Jamar Taylor has another injury. I think the, the turf monster has stolen another ligament. He's got an ACL tear and uh, i think he's got like a multi-ligament tear which is bad because he was actually playing some kind of decent football um and and k1 williams is hopefully going to come back in a week or two but let's talk about jimmy ward for a second because this was i feel like a couple times a season especially last season because last year was a career year we've had we've said the words (laughs) like this may have been jimmy ward's best game of his career (laughs) this may have been jimmy ward's best game of his career he had two forced fumbles in this game david prior to this game how many forced fumbles did Jimmy Ward have in his career? I'm going to say zero. You're not too far off. He had one. one forced fumble in his career until this game where he had two. And and honestly, the funniest one was Jared Goff. I knew Jared Goff was going to get smacked as soon as he did not slide. And Jimmy Ward just knocked the ball out. It was great. It was awesome. And I think <laughs> the the whole game, though the defense as a unit was playing well together because while the second forced fumble was funny because it was Jared Goff and he's, he's now inherited all of Tom Brady's giraffe running powers uh, now that Tom Brady doesn't seem to want to run anymore. But the, for, the first forced fumble was, the, was Fred Warner really getting to a spot that moved Goff off of his first read. On that first fumble, Goff wanted to go to Bobby Trees, but Warner is there. Goff has to check down. And when he does, Ward is there to make that fumble. Um, So Ward definitely made the play, but it was the defense as a whole that was playing well that put them in a good spot to win this game because this game was topsy turvy, lots of turnovers, uh, and Jimmy Ward was one of the primary reasons why.
1: Yeah, and I think like even when you look at like I, I think you know obviously those those big impact plays are are certainly very important, very important to the outcome of the game, and I think something that that are easy to recognize. But even just in his like coverage ability, which I I don't feel like has always been super great. Like, like, they've been using him a lot as the safety like so when they we mentioned how they kind of played a lot more cover one in this game or like a decent clip of, of, of cover one he tends to be the safety that they move down rather than leaving him as like the deep free safety they tend to have the other guy do it and bring Ward down and and be in man coverage whether it be on a tight end or, or whoever it is and uh, those situations like haven't always gone super well like he, he's kind of been pretty rocky in those situations and on, on the whole um, but in this game he was he was excellent like he had so many plays that he um like was locking up his guy even i think you look at um you know another kind of splash play that wasn't his splash play to make but it was the richard sherman interception like he was in fantastic coverage on the i think it was uh was it it Everett? was it everett yeah Yeah. um and and so like he was uh blanketing everett on that play and, and actually forced Goff to have to, like the only place that Goff could try to put it was to try to get over the top of Jimmy Ward because he was kind of like underneath taking away the angle that Everett really wanted to get to on that corner route. And so Goff, the only place he could try was to put it over the top and try to get over the shoulder and he overthrew it. Sherman is there to be able to have that interception. So, but that was really a play that was made because of Ward's coverage ability. And so I think he was just like really fantastic in that area as well. And just kind of on like a, a down to down um, executing his assignment, sticking with his guy and man coverage just was, was very good all around.
0: Yeah. And this is something that I feel like he's played more down low when, now that Tarverus Moore is playing more of that free safety role. I, I don't know that the team wants Tarverus Moore to play in the box because he's, he's a lighter guy. He's more slight of frame. Shanahan said that typically it's the bigger bodied person that's going to play more in the box. And I think with Jaquaski Tart and Jimmy Ward, well, that was Jaquaski Tart. And that yep. was a role that Tart did well and you were more comfortable with Jimmy Ward playing deep. But now that's kind of switched. And now Moore is really the guy that's a little lighter. And he's going to play deep. And, and Ward is going to be the guy that plays down uh, into the box. His his free safety snaps have, uh, you know, they were, I think, Tavares Moore had like 62 snaps as free safety in this game. Uh, and and Jimmy Ward had uh, not nearly that many. Uh, and that was because they were putting Tavares Moore back deep. And, I mean, it made a lot of sense. Jimmy Ward, I, I saw him matched up against Cooper Cup. Saw him matched up on a tight end saw matched up in the slot and man coverage. Uh, I mean, he was all over the field. He was being treated as that movable chess piece that I think Robert Sala talks about often, and we hear that as coach speak, and we're like, yeah. yeah, okay, you really like Jimmy Ward, we get it. But this was one of the times where they actually treated him like you would treat a Minka Fitzpatrick, like you would treat a movable chess piece, and he did it really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was like, uh, I think, a, a great example of of what kind of the, the high end that we've been hoping for with Jimmy Ward for quite a long time, right? Like it, it was showing the ability to do a variety of different things and, and kind of be more of a playmaker. I mean, I remember like back when when he was first drafted and we were looking at his college tape and and you see some of the things that he was doing at that level like it it really was the thing that was exciting was he was a, a playmaker at that level right he was finding ways to get around the ball and and be involved and have some of those bigger splash plays um and he never really you know has has kind of grown into that at the NFL level it kind of became a situation where like okay in, in his better spots like he was just kind of a solid do your assignment type of guy. Right. And really wasn't going to have any of those like huge kind of, um, you know, sometimes game changing plays that you get, I think from some of the better safeties in the league. And, and, you know, this again was one of the ones where he kind of, he had all of it, right. It wasn't just, uh, you know, the, the good every down kind of more ho-hum type plays where he was excelling, which he, he did. Um, but he had the splash plays to kind of add to that as well.
0: Uh, the research department is in my ear. Quick correction. Tarverius Moore had 42 snaps at free safety, 14 in the box. And uh, I I do regret... The
1: C2 did sound a little high.
0: It was high. It was total snaps in the game for Jimmy Uh, Ward is what that was. Uh, Yeah, so I I, I certainly regret the error. Um, I will take a sip of this (laughs) fantastic wine as penance. Uh, But uh, Jimmy Ward had 28 snaps in the box, eight snaps at corner, and 24 snaps at free safety. Uh, So he was a little bit more all over the place. Jimmy Ward had a great game. And I think now we're starting, we talked last week about how this could be the starting safety duo of the future. So let, let's talk a little bit about Tarveris Moore Cause we, we did a spotlight video on him last week and said it was a little up and down. You know, he, he, we got to see him in different roles and he did some roles. Well, he didn't do some other roles. Well, we wanted to see him in uh we wanted to see him diagnose coverages a little bit better. We wanted to see him hold up in the box. If he was going to play down there, David, how did he do in this game? Was it any better than last week? Um and and if so or not, why not?
1: Yeah, I think it I think it was better. Um and and I don't know that it was I still don't think I would go to good. Um I, I think we're still kind of, you know, uh in that spot where where he is struggling a little bit more than he's making good plays, but it, it's trending in the right direction at least. And so I think, yeah, you you just saw him um I think eliminate a little bit of some of the mental errors that were going on, like definitely saw fewer of those in this game. And then he had some more higher end, like plays to kind of offset even some of the bad plays. Right. So I think um, there was like, you know, there was a deep shot that he was in excellent coverage on that he, you know, had basically taken away that route completely, even if it wasn't, uh, you know, it was one that Goff left like way inside. And so it was off target. And that was like the main reason it was incomplete, but even an on target throw, he had, um, you know, put himself in position to be able to take that away. And so there were, there were some plays like that where just, you know, he was in a great position to, to be able to make a play on a ball if the ball was actually accurately placed. Um, and and so I think like, yeah, you're, that's kind of where you're at with him, right? You're, um, you've got a player that hasn't seen a lot of snaps and is, is really trying to get this experience and get more comfortable. And I think you're seeing him at least trend that direction, right? There are still the bad snaps there. There were still some plays in there that weren't, you know, super great, but um, I think it was a little bit more balanced in this one. Whereas like the previous week, I thought it was really a lot more bad than good.
0: Yeah. I think the, the bad snaps, if you're looking to find them for Tavares Moore, two of them were, were pretty big deals because he's the last line of defense at safety. And it was the long reception from cup. Uh, who put a move on Tarveris Moore. And Akers honestly put a, a very similar move on him when he broke into the open field. And and Moore just took a bad angle on both of those uh, and ends up allowing both of those players to get more yards uh, down the field. And honestly, if it weren't for Jason Verrett pulling a mini DK Metcalf and, and grabbing Akers from behind, you, you see Akers score a touchdown uh, because Moore is not able to make that tackle. I think that's one thing that we Jimmy Ward doesn't make a ton of those you know high level plays. He doesn't force a lot of fumbles. Doesn't have a lot of interceptions. I think he actually only has two career interceptions if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the one thing you never really have to worry about Jimmy Ward uh, on is his tackling ability. He's always tackled very well, and as that last line of defense, de- de- uh, as that last <laughs> line of defense has been really good at tackling. At mi- sometimes at the cost of his bones and his forearms, but but he's always been very good at being. That last line of defense and Moore was not that good. There is one play that I remember though about Moore, and it looked like it's the long pass to Robert Woods down the sideline in the first quarter, about 8:52. It's a second and seven play. It's a play action play from Jared Goff where it's it looks like a basic rollout, and it looks like Tarveris Moore should be the curl flat defender, but he gets uh, or I'm sorry, the the hook curl defender, but ends up getting sucked up on the play action. You've got a wide open receiver. Is this one on more? or is there something else going on with the defense that that maybe we don't know or didn't identify that would put it on someone else?
1: Yeah, and no, I, I do think it is. And I think you're right the first time, actually. He, he should be coming up as the, the curl flat defender. So the way that the 49ers played a lot of their cover three looks in this game was this sort of strong rotation where basically the... The safety that was over to the passing strength, which on on this particular play is more side. They had trips to that side of the field. So that guy comes down as the curl flat defender. And then the opposite safety from the weak side rotates and is the one that, that ends up getting back to the deep middle. And so that's what they're doing here. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I mean... It's a pretty decent sell job from from Robert Woods. I mean, he kind of takes this, like, step inside, like he's going to go to run block and then really tries to sneak in behind Gerald Everett to, like, get out into the route. Um, But for whatever it is that he's getting, whether it's just, like, getting eyes stuck in the backfield, whether it was, you know, that particular move from Robert Woods, um, he gets definitely sucked up way inside um, as he's kind of coming up in that rotation. And then he just never really finds woods um and and so it's just kind of a situation where his eyes continue to be on the quarterback he's he's not finding the receiver that he needs to um in the route because there's another i think it's um josh reynolds who is the other one of the other receivers that side he's clearing sherman outs right so it's a it's a route that is technically going you know to what would be like the deep third if you think about a cover three but because you have that deeper route that's there that's kind of taking sherman with him that curl flat defender is the one that needs to be able to sink and get to that other route. That's kind of that second route that's going to that area. And so that was, was definitely one that looks to be on more.
0: And I think those, those are the little things that you're hoping for him to clean up as a player. I think it probably had a better game this game than he did against the saints, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping he gets snaps and he gets some experience under his belt. Uh, because I do think that especially if Ward keeps getting moved around the way that he is being moved around, if if more can solidify what that deep safety looks like, I think uh, that that's going to bode well for the 49ers as a whole. Now, Richard Sherman did return. He returned and he has an interception. It's great. He can add that to the list of things that he can rattle off memory in articles later in life. Uh, I don't know if you saw that article in the Athletic, uh, like it, I think it was early this year, late last year, where he could like remember every single one of his 41 or so interceptions or whatever it was. Oh, no, um, no. And I don't know what it is about. I, I mean, I know what it is because I forget shit all the time. I do. Um, yeah. I forget shit from the first half of the podcast and the second half of the podcast. <laughs> so it's always uh, uh, a miracle to me that, you know, McVeigh can recall a random play that he had, you know, in whatever game. Or that Sherman can remember every one of his interceptions, but for some reason, you know that's that's super duper impressive for people. But he had an interception uh, this game, but was his impact really that big, or was it something that was just like, yeah, he 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 was able to you know be better than maybe Mosley, but that, that didn't necessarily fuel the kind of defensive change that we uh, that we saw against the Rams.
1: Like I, I don't even know that I would call him better than Mosley purely from a what he's bringing to the table as a cover player, right? Like what what he can actually do if you put him in a one on one situation, or what he can do um, when when he yeah, I think it's really whether it's whether it's zone or like whether it's man if he ends up in those one on one situations based on kind of how the 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 route concept plays out, um, it's tough. So I, I actually I, it's kind of weird to think about and and say with him, but. I feel like he's a a very like high risk, high reward type player right now. So what he does, um, obviously better than than maybe everyone is the mental aspect of it. So the the mental processing is obviously still there. And I think the interception is a great example of that. So this is a a play that, you know, the 49ers are in cover one, so they should be in man coverage. And and again, Sherman is on a route that really is a clear out route. Like it's never designed to be targeted. It's just designed to clear space for the route. They actually want to target underneath that. Um, And, and he just happens to be able to kind of play that man coverage from his off position and still kind of keep eyes in the backfield and actually be able to target um, and, and like identify that that ball was thrown overthrown, you know, underneath him and, and be able to kind of peel off his guy and make a play on it. And so those are the type of things where, yeah, he can still make some of these big impact plays because of, of what he can do mentally and, in being able to find himself in the right position. Um, but athletically the dude looked, washed in this game like there there was like i I mean one of the examples that just like gets ingrained in my mind from this tape is like gerald everett is destroying him at the line of scrimmage and like getting him to do his little like spin around move whenever he whiffs on his jam and like creating like five yards of separation on a slant and it's just like this isn't even one of the like a good receiver like this is the the second tight end on the fucking rams right now and and so it's just like Uh, not a, not a great look whenever he was asked to, you know, get down, um, at the line of scrimmage and try to be in tighter man coverage on these guys. And they actually like ended up leaving him in a position or allowing him to play in a position where even when you would see them in cover one and every other, uh, man coverage defender would be up tight to the line of scrimmage. Sherman would be playing like 10, 12 yards off, like he he just, what and there was one of those plays like he was playing super off like that and he still kind of bit on a double move a little bit and still let the guy run by him. And it just ended up not being targeted. But like he didn't, at, athletically, he does not look good. He cannot keep up with guys right now. I mean, he looked like he hasn't played football in two months, which is exactly what where he's He looked at. like he might not be able to play football for much
0: longer. <laughs> the dude's on one leg. Got the man some slack. I, I will say two things. One, it was clear that I think the that Robert Solon knew this too. I don't know why else you would blitz Sherman from the slot and play Mosley on the outside. Because and this was before Jamar Taylor got hurt. This was in the first quarter where where you've got Mosley out wide and you've got Sherman blitzing from the slot. I think you'd do that because you want to keep Sherman on the field, but you don't necessarily believe that he's gonna that he's one of your best coverage defenders. Um so like I think that the that Solon knew this. But I will say that his big brain is still kind of a big deal. Because when I'm looking at the Kinlaw pick, it's second and nine. You're in the third quarter, very beginning. Sherman realizes he's got no threat to his side of the field. So he finds work and he ends up going to the middle of the field and ends up covering up one of the uh, kind of crossing routes that's going where Goff wants to go. That's what makes Goff move off of that receiver, which causes him to then get a, a, under pressure. He throws a panic pass. And Kinlaw is able to do what Kinlaw does, pick it off and off you go. It's a touchdown for the Niners. So th- there is, is that some absolute does? value from, from Sherman, but yes, it's, I do think that even the Niners know that he athletically is not necessarily in his prime.
1: Yeah, totally. And so that's why I mean like, you know, high risk, high reward, right? Like the, the, the big brain can definitely get him some of those positive plays, right. And, and, and get him an interception that maybe he shouldn't have had. Um, but if I, like, I'll put it this way. if, and maybe, maybe it is purely just the injury and it's all that stuff, right? Like, and, and he can still kind of you know, continue to look better athletically as he gets a little bit more fully recovered or, or whatever the deal is. Um, but, but if I'm an opposing offensive coordinator and I'm watching the tape of this game and I'm looking at Richard Sherman specifically, I'm thinking that we can attack him one-on-one. If we can at all get, get him isolated in any way, with, with one of our best receivers. I do not believe he can win those matchups. He needs to be in the situations like you mentioned, right? Where it's, it's the zone look. Okay. Maybe he doesn't have a guy immediately challenging him, but he, he recognizes the route concept super quickly. He gets in, a, in into a spot uh, to take away a route from another side of the field, right? There there's little things like that, that are like, that are fantastic. Like those are great plays. Um, but if you can get one of your receivers on him, isolated in any way. Like, it's just, it kind of looks over. Like, it, he didn't even, there were plays that they would, you know, where he was playing super off against Robert Woods, and he wasn't even really trying to challenge. He was just like backpedaling from his 12 yards off, like, alignment, and just like hoping he doesn't get roasted deep, essentially. And he's just giving up freebies underneath. Yeah. And, and that's
0: honestly, that's, that's, I feel like it's built into the ethos of Sherman at this point. Don't give anything up deep. Get them to, you know, kind of complete soon up and then rally is is yep. really what you're trying to do. And the secondary, I mean, we we're spending a lot of time talking about the secondary in large part because they forced Jared Goff into a really bad game. This wasn't a, what Jared Goff's going to get pressured and get forced into some terrible decisions. Jared Goff dropped back 37 times and was only pressured on nine of those dropbacks. Just nine dropbacks out of 37 in which he was pressured. And he had an abysmal game. It was really, really bad. He threw one interception under pressure, one without. He had the fumble. He had 28 passing plays without pressure. And his PFF passing grade on those plays was in the 40s. This was not a, this was not a game where, you know, Kerry Hyder is busting through the line and you've got, uh, you know, the stunts kind of getting home. This is the secondary doing its thing. And even when Kerry Hyder is getting home, it's because Goff had nowhere to throw. So this is the game that was won by the 49 ers secondary. And, and it's good that they were able to do that. And I think it does speak to what Salah's been able to do with the pieces that he's got, because this isn't the starting defense from week one. This is like Sherm returning back from injury. This is Jamar Taylor tearing his ACL and Moses playing in the slot. It's Jason Verrett. It's, you know, Fred Warner doing Fred Warner things. But overall, I think, you know, again, it just kind of speaks to week one or the first time the Niners faced the Rams, it was all Shanahan. I think this time it's really all Salah.
1: Yeah, I mean he they they ultimately held this Rams offense when you look at kind of their average EPA per play um was like basically a negative half point you know, every time that they took a snap, you know, it, it was a half a point win for the 49ers <laughs> every time that they snapped the ball. Right. So that's ridiculous, uh, which, which is like an absolutely absurd number, right? Like that, that would uh, absolutely be like the worst figure in the league if, if a team were to have that over the entire season. So um, yeah, like it, it was just a, an incredibly impressive performance from, I think the pass coverage unit, especially. Um, And, and it's just like yeah, I mean, solid deserves a lot of credit because, you know, I don't know that like none of these guys uh, in the secondary are really out there like balling out every single week, right? Like it, it seems like maybe every week you get one guy that seems to be okay. Like he, he played pretty well in that game. And then the other guys are just kind of like, yeah, yeah, they're okay. And you got Fred Warner out there doing his thing, of course, but like they, they just kind of are in a spot where they're, they're playing overall pretty assignment sound, you know, as a as an entire unit. They're not giving up a lot of freebies and and like busting a lot of coverages and they're in the right spots. And Sala is doing enough to change up those looks and give the offensive, um, you know, the the quarterback and the offensive coordinator different looks that they have to prepare for and deal with, and they're disguising blitz as well and and doing all these things. So I think, yeah, like they're he's doing a lot with uh, a unit that I don't think should really be playing this well if you if you looked purely at their talent
0: level and i think when when they were able to play so well and it still took you know seemingly a herculean effort from the offense in order to get to a game-winning field goal and they don't get there without debo samuel debo samuel man it's good to have him back he had 11 catches 133 yards 136 of those yards were after the catch how does that math work out that you can have 136 yards after the catch and 133 total receiving yards. It's because he's catching passes, behind the line of scrimmage,
1: my guy has like seven jet sweeps where he's getting the ball four yards deep in, in the backfield. <laughs> the, the average depth of target on like two of his
0: throws, where Mullins just has to tap the ball forward, is like half an inch. Yeah, like can, can like, you measure that yeah. average depth of target?
1: I mean, it's like a, so the way that it works is like a yard, right? So the quarterback in shotgun is usually five yards deep, and so. Debo's running right in front of him so he's he's four yards deep in the backfield yeah so you look at so of those 11 catches I mean seven of them came on either those jet sweep type uh little pop passes or, or actual um you know more traditional design screens um and and on those plays yeah it was it was negative four yards was the average depth of target on those so he's getting uh, I mean I mean on a, a lot of these plays he's essentially a running back right like it, it a lot of his Uh, quote unquote receptions are really extensions of the run game for Shanahan. I mean, um, you know, the jet sweeps, especially, right? That that is really a designed run play. Everybody, there's no other routes on the play. Everybody up front is run blocking. The only reason it's technically a pass is because it it uh you know gives you kind of a pass if you have some sort of mess up there, right? If Debo drops it because you pop it forward, rather than that being a fumble on on some sort of you know, muffed handoff attempt it's now an incomplete pass. So you you give uh that element you add that element in there to kind of save you from that potential disaster, but those are really run plays. And and he's just the the dude's a force when he's got the ball in his hands and he just like is so difficult to bring down. Like there was the one play um he catches it was just like a, a little stick route, you know, 5 yard uh route that he's like running and and you have three rams guys that are around him and you see one guy go to wrap him up and like the other two are kind of like they start to slow up and like oh okay they got him you know he's he's going down and then he just like <laughs> runs by him all and it's just, like you you see the one the corner that was coming over and he's like shocked at what happened and he like he didn't even really get a hand on him because he was so surprised that he broke that tackle and kept going And it's just like he's doing that stuff nearly every time he touches the ball
0: yeah, there was one screen where he may have had more missed tackles than he had yards, and he got nine <laughs> yards on the play.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, absurd. The one over on the left side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. He had 94 yards after contact, which is the most by a wide receiver this season and, and was very, very close to being the most just all time or rather in the PFF
1: era. Or, or just a season. Yeah. So it was, so Alton yeah Kamara like I said, this has, season, uh, <laughs> bringing Kamara's the time the horizon, only in. other, uh, guy that, that is above him right now. He had 98 yards, uh, after contact week three against the Packers, but nobody else like the next closest is like 72 yards. Um, so it's, it's a large gap between those two and everybody else. Yeah. Look, when I say all time, what I really mean is this <laughs> season.
0: Okay. Short memories. Short 2020
1: memories. 2020 feels like it is consumed
0: all time. So You're not kidding. You yeah. are not kidding. Uh, so the, the Niners, though, still couldn't hold down Aaron Donald. We, you, you hold him down for one week. This week, uh, this, the, the first game this week was not so much. He had a ton of big plays. It wasn't all on Colton McKibbitz because oh. Aaron Donald was everywhere. Um, but you know, you just like you, I mean, Dan Brunskill got thrown to the wolves last season against Aaron Donald and he had a bad game. You can't hold it against him. This is always going to be a bad look for Colton McKivitz, but man, he really did come from everywhere. It was a good game for Aaron Donald. He almost single-handedly wrecked this game.
1: I like how you're like, you know, I'm not saying it was all on Colton McKivitz, but you know, it was, <laughs> it was kind of almost all on Colton Um uh, No, it, it, I mean, look, everybody on, on the right side essentially got in on the act. I mean, even McGlinchey was just embarrassed uh, a couple plays on by him. Uh, like it was just the, it's kind of funny. Like you look at all of the big plays that Donald had in this game And if after the season, right, if you didn't rather than looking like game by game splits, if you just looked at like, oh, this is what he did in in his two games against the 49ers, you'd be like, oh, that was two pretty good fucking games. Like just looking at his stats from this one, right, looks like two games worth of production. And it was just like so many big moments. I mean, he was the guy that had. Um, you know, the batted pass that was was ultimately intercepted. He um, d- destroyed McGlinchey inside to, to get back into the backfield and force the fumble on Mostert that was returned for a touchdown. The very next offensive play, he like splits a double team, I believe, uh, in, in pass protection and gets a sack. Right. Like, and it was just like that stuff. And it was, whether it was in pass protection, you know, no matter what they tried to do with him, no matter where he lined up, he was, he was getting pressure. Um, he was a problem in the run game as he always is like, yeah, the, the dude was everywhere, making huge plays, being an absolute force out there. And while yes, Colton McKibbitts did not handle this assignment incredibly
0: well, generally no one does. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like I'm not going to judge McKivitz in this one in his ex, his first extended play based on what he did with Aaron Donald I'm still going to wait to see what happens next week with my man McKivitz. because this could be the starting five next season uh, I think the team might be might be high on McKivitz uh, and if they don't draft another guard which I think they should but let's say they don't for one reason or another let's say they I don't know trade up for a quarterback and don't have the capital to do so uh, McKivitz might be the guy that you end up uh, starting out there at right guard so I mean, gonna be, be int-
1: high if they start Colton McKivitz <laughs> at right guard next year. Give him so.
0: time. Give him time. Sure. That's all I'm saying. Don't judge him just against Aaron Donald. Everyone sucks against Aaron Donald. Just, you know, we'll give him some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get to some quick hits, and then we're going to get to some big picture questions. Really, are, are the playoffs viable for the Niners? They kept their season alive. They won another NFC game. And now I'm curious, well, now they're, they're kind of in the mix. You see all those in the mix graphics and the Niners are right there. Uh, are the playoffs something we should be thinking about? But before we get to those two things, we're going to first hear a bit from our sponsors. And first up, it is Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Thank Jesus. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Uh, you think that I just had to hire a travel agent this week? Trying to get all the logistics, moving to Arizona? I think Hire somebody. You know? Hire somebody. Uh, imagine getting the phone call for that job. Uh, excuse me, travel agent. We need to get 75 people to Arizona. Staff. Oh,
1: we need to get well over hundred. We we got personnel, like all of our staff, our trainer, everybody. We're bringing hundred and fifty people. Find space.
0: And yeah. I know they have logistics people to do that, but it just it just seems like such like in literally four days they had to make that happen. It's completely nuts. But maybe Indeed uh, helps you find that person because uh, unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no. Long-term contracts, contracts. Pragmater must be behind Indeed.com. No <laughs> long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time. You can stop paying Get out really. it at any time. You can you can pull the rib cord at any time. Just ask, just ask Colin Kaepernick. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short-term a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do or as fast as Aaron Donald does uh, right now. Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit. That is a Lake and Tomlinson sized credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates. will see it fast. Try indeed out with a free $75 credit. Every time I see 75 now I can't help, but see Lake and Tomlinson's butt. Get a free Lake time, and Tomlinson. <laughs> to get Wait, I'm Lake sorry. Tomlinson. That's not the must read part. <laughs> Oh, shit. This is the must-read part, my bad. But you can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is also brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back
1: in full swing, even on a Wednesday. There was a game today. Was. it's week twelve, guys. We're we're not back in full we've been in full swing. All right. This is uh God, I cannot believe the
0: the there was a football game today. It was I it could have just not have happened and it would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: could have just they may have well just forfeited it. I nearly forgot that it was there, but I had a fantasy player going, so you know it's fine. You
0: might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season from game spread totals. Uh, to team, player, and coaching props like, is Urban Meyer going to be the coach of Texas? I don't know. Will his brain explode with assists before he ends up winning the Big 12? I feel yes. like I should be able to bet on that. Uh, and Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. actually, this is a good gift idea in case you're wondering, go place a bet. if you have a, a significant other who loves a team, go place a bet on their behalf as a gift just to see what happens and spice things up. I have a buddy who actually did that for his wife. She's a big basketball fan. Uh, I believe uh, Virginia uh, is her team, and so I, he's placing a bet, and he's using our promo code to do it. I was like, "Yeah, here you go. hear that. Get get some dollar-dollar bills. Here you go. All right, let's get to the quick hits. Uh, Nick Mullins was not necessarily one of the uh, shining stars of the game. Uh, When you take away his screen passes and his play-action passes, his PFF passing grade, in the 40s, this Rams-Niners game was not necessarily the teach tape for quarterbacks, is all I'm saying.
1: It was brutal out there, man. And look, like, like, again, we've, we've mentioned this before, but the, the reason you take those things away, right? The, the screens should be hopefully a little bit more obvious. It's the, the, Nick Mullins getting credit for tapping the ball forward and Debo breaking four tackles and getting 20 yards out of it, right? Like, obviously, Nick Mullins didn't do shit on that play, um, to, to lead to the success of, uh, the offense as a whole. And then I think play action, right? You're, you're looking at, running play action generally in more favorable situations for the offense. It's first and 10, or it's good, you know, positive down and distance situations for them because you need that threat of the run to begin with. And and it's really scheme that is providing a lot of the openings there. So again, Mullins has um, better opportunities. So when you're just looking at how he's performing um, as an individual they're not always the best plays to go to and so when you look at just what he's doing in situations where he has to drop back and it's just like maybe it's a, a third down situation where the defense knows that you have to throw he just he looks awful like he he just looks so bad back there like it, it really the fact that they're able to to even be competitive in games honestly with like a quarterback that's playing as poorly as he is right now in some of these situations like it, it's incredibly pr- impressive from what Shanahan's doing to, to try to hide him, what the defense has been doing to kind of keep them in games like, yeah, it's just it's brutal to watch him on some of these snaps right now. Well, these are intended to be quick hits, but I think the, the one play that everyone likely remembers
0: because of the player reaction was the third and seven missed throw to Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed is wide open. Jordan Reed knows it. Nick Mullins knows it. And Nick Mullins just missed him. And Jordan Reed comes off the field, and he's like, damn it. He's slapping his hands. He's like, oh, I should have had it. He was open. Uh, it was the right read. It was a good route from Reed. Uh, it just
1: was not a good throw. Like, I'm Same. sorry, the other ones will be quicker, but then you have to get the other <laughs> one. Like, the the ones, the ones, one that he, uh, like, has Jordan Reed on a double move right over to the left-hand side, yeah. and, like, the corner doesn't bite on at all, so he's just sitting on top the entire way to the point where Jordan Reed, like, I mean, look, he probably should have done this. He kind of stops running the yeah. route because he's just like, this is fucking hopeless. Like, there's no way it's going to be and thrown he over the ball here. And he anyway. And he fucking throws it anyway, and it should have been picked. <laughs> um, just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Are you even looking at what's going on over there? Anyway. It's hard, man. It's Marcel. Hard. We're going to, uh,
0: Marcel Harris played just six snaps, which seems appropriate for where Marcel Harris is it's in a terms of quality. Good play. number. It's it, it right. a good number. 23 is a number, and that seems to be the magic number, as the 49ers are 5-0 when allowing 23 points or fewer this season. Seems like that's if, if a team can score over 23, I don't know that the offense can do it. But if you can keep them the 23 or under, man, the Niners have a shot. Kerry Hyder has 7.5 sacks. That's good. Or 8 sacks, if you count each sack as a full sack, as Pro Pretty Football sure. Focus does. Yep. But his PFF pass rush grade is just a notch over 60 David and 60 is like average, like replacement level player. Like this is what you get when you have no impact on the game. So why is that discrepancy present? David?
1: It's it, so I think it's, you look at the quality of his wins, right? So when, when you look at, you know, you know, that sack total obviously is, is very solid. You look at his win rate, right? Just how often is he beating um, the the guy across from him when he gets some one-on-one situations is, is also very solid, Um, but the, the quality of those wins isn't as high. So if I think the easiest way, like, and it's obviously a very stark and unfair comparison, but you look at some, some of the plays that Aaron Donald had in this game, they, they're, they're quick, immediate, decisive wins where he is like blowing by an offensive lineman and immediately getting into the backfield and and pressuring the quarterback, right? Um, those are, are going to obviously receive higher grades than a lot of what Kerry Heider is, is doing, which is more like kind of you're grinding the play down you know the, the offensive lineman down it's it's a late win the play because the quarterbacks had to hold on to the ball and so those those plays like yes they're still wins they still count like they're still positive plays um but they, they don't quite have the same impact as those quicker ones And so i think that's why you see the discrepancy yes somebody you know on this defensive line has to do something um but but it's uh i, I think a situation where you don't want to get too excited just because of the sack numbers like the the actual down to down stuff isn't quite as impressive.
0: I think it's important to note and it's a good thing to think about when he may not get extended next year because someone is going to pay for the sacks and then they may be and they may pay him starter money for those sacks but his production may not be commensurate with that when he gets paid high dollar amounts. So if the Niners do end up letting Kerry Hyder walk uh, it, it may not be the most terrible thing, even if you think, you know, those seven and a half or eight or more sacks are going out the door. But Brandon Ayuk is coming off of the COVID list. We finally get to see him and Debo on the field at the same time for more than like half a game is what it was or three quarters of a game. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and we can finally uh, basically put the theory to rest that Brandon Ayuk is just Debo Samuel with arm extensions. Like, are they the same person? I don't know. I won't be proven wrong until they are on the field at the same time. And even then I might call fraud.
1: I was going to say, like, I, I think we should maybe pump the brakes here and not just like the, it's a Monday game. We've got some extra time. Like, I don't want to ruin this before we we get started. We should really move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Is someone going to get
0: hurt <laughs> before you get to,
1: Somebody's like Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's getting COVID. Like, whatever. Like, let's not. Nope. I don't want to think about it. Let's get them both on the field. And then we can talk about this.
0: All right, sounds good. Let's talk instead about uh, Shanahan's conservatism on first and second down uh, when you're talking about his run rate because uh, it's uh, pretty high. Man likes to run on first and second down.
1: It, which are, are not situations that you would really hope that a, a team would love to run on. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's something that, like, as you watch a lot of these games, right, I think what what got my mind working with this was actually thinking that he runs the ball a ton on on second down, right, where you get... Um, you know, I think the the classic example, right, is like you get an incomplete pass on first down because Mullen sucks, and then uh you're at second and ten and it's like, okay, well, we got to get some yardage here. We can have another incomplete pass, right? So let's hand it off and it's just like it's fucking terrible. And so you see some of these runs, and I'm like, Oh my god, kill me. Uh and and so like I decided to like look at it. The second down run rate on its own was actually a little bit better than I thought. So he wasn't like top of the league or anything like that. It was more like tenth, but when you look at it, how often they're running the ball on first and second down with at least six yards to go, um, only Tennessee and Baltimore have higher rates since 2018. So the 49ers running the ball about half the time in those situations, which is is very high. 44% is league average during that time. And, and it's just like, though as, as much as I want to be mad about it, I kind of get it right now because, again, Nick Mullins is is your quarterback. And so it's like, I, I don't know, is there a good option? Well, so th- this is
0: exactly the thing that I told David when he when he brought this number to me. I was like, okay. But we, we we talked a little bit about how Shanahan does change the way he calls plays when he feels he has a better offense. So immediately my question was, okay, let's go back and look at 2016 Atlanta. Did he also run at that high of a rate when he was the, uh, the coordinator in Atlanta in 2016? And it turns out he did not. He ran the ball in the same situations at league average rate, not at top of the league rate, which is where he's at with the 49ers. And I think it's because he knows he has Nick Mullins as quarterback and he knows he had Brian Hoyer before that. And he knows that he had just a parade of shitty quarterbacks. And and even Jimmy Garoppolo, I think if you really asked Shanahan, I think if you nailed Shanahan down and gave him the truth serum that, you, you know, you see Schwarzenegger give someone in true or that he got in true lies and, you know, he cannot tell a lie. And, and I think he would probably say like, yeah, Jimmy is like, he does some good things, but by and large, I kind of have to treat him not like the superstar quarterback. I have to kind of, you know, I can't treat him like Matt Ryan in 2016. I have to treat him a little bit less than that. And all of a sudden you get a big
1: run rate on first and second and long. And just to be clear, this isn't inflated, you know, so I said since 2018, that number is not inflated just because of the, the time without Jimmy Garoppolo, just 2019, 51% in the league uh during that season including playoffs so um yeah it has it, just been a thing that you know they're we, they're a run first team everybody kind of knows it but like man they are really fucking run first yeah it's kinda, well kinda don't sad. worry we'll get there we'll uh we'll hopefully day, you know this we'll game
0: against this, this game's against the bills you know it'll it'll knock us down a little bit hopefully in the draft order knock uh, us up, God, I, should say. I
1: gotta watch nick mullins and josh allen this week fucking kill me Let's talk about it. Well, first, let's talk about the playoffs being
0: viable because this is now a place where the Niners find themselves in. They are in the hunt. They are on the playoff bubble, but they face some hurdles. Number one hurdle, we've talked about it a little bit. They still have Nick Mullins, a quarterback. Maybe until week 16, which means that Nick Mullins will face Buffalo. We'll talk about that game in a second. Washington, who has Chase Young, who may, who currently may not even be like the best active pass rusher on his team just because he will be eventually, But Jonathan Allen's having a fantastic season. And Montez Sweat is doing good things as a pass rusher as well. They can all get after the quarterback. And we know that if Nick Mullins is not all that great when he's got a clean pocket, he completely Uh. decomposes as a quarterback under pressure. And then Dallas, which seems kind of winnable because it's Dallas. But we know know that pressure basically renders him non-functional. And Washington's not a good look. That's an NFC game. Buffalo, well, they are also very good at rushing the passer. They trail only the Eagles and the Steelers in PFF pass rush grade. And, and this is what Nick Mullins is basically going to face. So I ask you, David, are the playoffs still a viable thing for the
1: 49ers moving forward? Uh, Maybe? I mean... I don't know. Like, I I'd still, I mean, my, my reaction is just like naturally, no, it really doesn't feel like they should be a playoff team. But yeah, it'll be really interesting because I think the top five
0: teams are, are likely going to be New Orleans, Green Bay, Seattle. I think Tampa Bay is going to get one of the wild cards and then whomever the hell emerges from the NFC East, like maybe Philadelphia, like may, honestly, maybe it's the Giants now that Colt McCoy is going to play a couple of games because they might have an actual quarterback and not a running back playing quarterback in new york but uh, who the hell knows who comes out of that division
1: that brings up a good point which i will now uh you know again research department coming in here um this is just sorted by order so all of those nfc's teams are actually down there below so that would put once you bump one of them up there and give them a spot that would put the niners in the eighth spot
0: yeah i feel like right now they're just on the cusp and and the the thing that they have to do at this point is that they could lose against buffalo and because that's an AFC team that doesn't necessarily hurt them because the first tiebreaker is conference record. The Niners right now feel like an 8-8 eight and eight team. They really do. They just feel like they you know, win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game. They can't really take it to the super really good teams, but they're not necessarily going to be out of it against those crappy teams, which is why Dallas feels winnable, right? Um, and, and Washington's one of those games where like the matchup kind of makes the fight. But if they end up at 8-8, eight and eight, and the, the Vikings also finish at 8-8. Eight and eight. I feel like Kirk Cousins is going to be their bugaboo forever for one reason or another. Um, then really, it's going to be conference record that it comes down to. And so what the Niners are going to need is they're going to need Tampa Bay to beat Minnesota. They're going to need that additional NFC losses for Minnesota to to end up making it in. And and they can do it. They can. It just It just feels longer than those in the hunt graphics right now. But... If if you are in the rooting sense, the rooting guide, you're rooting for Tampa Bay to beat Minnesota and for Tampa Bay to lock up that first wild card. And then the other two wild cards are going to basically get fought over in the NFC West. And, and that leaves two games against Arizona. That leaves two games total in the NFC West. Arizona and Seattle is the two final games of the season. The two games that Jimmy Garoppolo comes back for. The two games that if the Niners are in the hunt, George Kittle could come back for. And now you've got Sherman. You've got Verrett. You've got maybe a Sherman who's done a bit of exercise and can (laughs) not, you know, take 10 yard cushions on tight ends. And, And you've got Jimmy Garoppolo. You've got Raheem Mostert. You've got George Kittle. You've got Jordan Reed. Now you've got a full strength 49ers two weeks in the season.
1: This could be a very interesting end is all I'm saying. Just, just when I thought I was out, you know, they're, they're pulling me back in, They're pulling me back in. Well, and this is why I think the game against the bills, you know, it's not a good matchup for the Niners.
0: It's not a good matchup because we know Mullins is terrible under pressure and the bills are very good at getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, They also have a running quarterback in Josh Allen. They also have a quarterback that likes to throw deep. Even if he doesn't do it all that well, all that often, he still does it. And I feel like th- this is going to be one of those times where Tavares Moore is going to get threatened and, and it's going to be interesting to see how he performs. Um, but it's going to be I don't know that it's a game that they win if they somehow manage to win the game against the Bills, especially with the offensive with the points the Bills can seem to put up 23 is the magic number. I think the Bills get over 23, but it, it, it can still lose this game and still be in the hunt for a playoff spot. It all just depends on what happens with those NFC games in the last two games of the year.
1: Look, I mean, yeah, the 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 Buffalo game is going to be... Int- God, I would fucking love to beat the Bills. I just really dislike Josh Allen. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. Um, you do have something personal against Josh Allen. I just think he's fucking terrible, mostly. Um, and I and I hate <laughs> that people out there think that he's not terrible. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's had a good year. You've got to, I mean, like, look, give I haven't watched him nearly as much this year as I have before. So, <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say, I haven't watched him at all. And I was going to say, Oh my no. God,
0: the hot take. I love the confidence in the uh, team. was like, look, I haven't watched a single snap, of Josh a single Josh Allen, but throw. I know he's fucking terrible.
1: He still does stupid shit every single fucking game. And he's still ca- like, he's still capable of, of just having a game where he like, can't fucking hit anything and throws for a hundred yards. Right. Like, um, yeah. So like, it's just a, like, but here's the thing that that could be really beneficial, right? For the 49ers in this game and trying to pull off um, what I, I do think is still an upset win, right? Given the state of, of the, the team at the moment. So um, they are dead. Buffalo is dead last by like a solid margin in run defense grade at PFF. And so I just like, I mean, look, we, we talk about the underdog game plan and, 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 and everything there, like in, in how the 49ers can lean on that. We talk about the run rate right on first and second down, like they're going to lean on that run game. They want to try to shorten the game and do all of those things that, that can lead to that kind of underdog strategy. Um, this is a game where maybe they can have some success on the ground. This is the way, this is the way at this point. I haven't seen Mandalorian season two, not yet.
0: Uh, watched the undoing, which was pretty good not going to lie but still the queen's gambit if you haven't seen it go see it right now um but th- this is the way for the 49ers to win games they have to have that underdog game plan they have to be able to run the ball or have their defense step up and force enough turnovers that the offense doesn't matter nearly as much it's going to be interesting if they win if they beat the bills this whole conversation changes i think now they move into one of the positions immediately for that playoff spot but i think you're you're kind of expecting them to lose against buffalo but you still have washington you still have Dallas and then you've got the two games that matter when hopefully you have a full complement, So I think, uh, the, the, the simple fact that you, that given everything that's happened this season, and and we haven't even talked about them moving to Arizona for fuck's sake, like these, these next three or four games or whatever are going to be in Arizona. They're basically away games, which end up may, which may end up being better for creating a bubble for the Niners, all things considered. And they're playing in a dome but at least the dome is grass. You're not going to lose an ACL randomly because you're playing on turf anymore. But I think all that notwithstanding, the simple fact that in week 12, week 13, the Niners are sniffing the playoffs with Mullins at quarterback, with George Kittle out, with only having like one of your two top wide receivers available in any one individual game without having Raheem Mostert with having whatever rotation you have at guard and not
1: your six string center. The fact that they're here is kind of amazing, dude. I, like I, I, it really felt, you know, like a, I mean, a month ago, it felt like a month into the season, like that this was shit was just over. It was over. Um, I mean, what was it like week three that we were talking about, joking at like the the season review, you know, that we were doing at that point, like, like look, and maybe it's just the fact that like you know, hey, it's twenty twenty got a six month old. She has a bad day. I'm ready to shit all over Josh Allen to make myself feel better, you know? And so like, that's just kind of, kind of where, so maybe it's just that, that negative slant, um, you know, that that's coming through there and it just felt kind of hopeless. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, there, there obviously is a path, but we'll take it one game at a time. See how things go against the bills. Yeah, we, we might, they might get blown the fuck out. And we're like, yep, no, this is over. There's no chance again next week.
0: That's right. That's what we're here for. Reactionary hot takes, especially when it comes to Josh Allen and games involving Josh Allen. One game at a time, David. Let's do it. One game at a time. That does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, talk to them about the Patreon.
1: Let's go. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Um, it's it, it really like if you haven't had a chance to check it out, like it, it has been a lot of fun doing that this week, like or this season, excuse me, Um, you know, being able to add video and more content. Some of the things that we're talking about on here is something I think we've always wanted uh, a kind of an avenue to do. And it's been, uh, I think, really good so far this season. So, so definitely go check it out. Buy us a beer.
0: Uh, I'm going to go put some editing pants on. I'm going to crack a beer that one of the Patreon subscribers bought us and tell you, as always, go Niners.